This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We're in chapter 4 of Perkei and uh, we're discussing Olam uh, Abba. We're on chapter 4, Mishnah 16. Mishnah 16, Rabbi Yaakov Omer. Rabbi Yaakov says, Haolam Azeh, this world, is like a corridor or a lobby. It's like a corridor in front of the next world. This world is a corridor. So we're in Pirkei Avot, chapter 4, Mishnah 16. Rabbi Yaakov says this world is like a corridor in front of the next world. It's a very long corridor. It looks like a very long corridor. It's a very elaborate corridor. It's got a sun, a moon, stars, universe, massive animals, fish, birds. It's like very confusing. A person comes to this world and looks around them. They forget. They forget that this is just a corridor. It looks solid. A person says, you know what? I want to invest in this corridor. Imagine you invest in a corridor. Think about it. <laughs> How much people spend for the lobby of the house, for the entrance of the house. How much do you spend? More than the, the rooms and more than the... So, imagine... So how much would a person spend on, on the lobby of the house corresponding to the rest of the house? So you've got to understand, this is just a lobby. This is just a lobby area. This is just the corridor where entrance. This is the entrance. It's an entrance to the next world. It's very hard to imagine this. Hard, But it's very good to go over it every day on a daily basis and think, this, is, this world is temporary, this world is temporary. This world is just a corridor. But it's a corridor, but a very precious corridor. Why is it a precious corridor? Because this corridor, everything depends on this corridor. What we do in this corridor, everything depends on. The whole Olam Abba depends. Our world to come depends on how we behave in this corridor. <laughs> Fix yourself. Look at this language over here. It's a very important language. <clears throat> Fix yourself. It's called Tikkun. We have to hear, we're here for Tikkun. We're here to fix ourselves. Fix yourself in this corridor. How do you fix yourself? What do you mean, fix yourself? So then the God says, the main purpose of a person in this world is to fix their traits. Oh, okay. Traits. Let me do it. A person's character traits. Oh, Who that? Character the Vilna says. Vilna says, in a very beautiful book, it's called Evan Schlema. I highly recommend it. Evan Schlema. The Vilna says, the main purpose of a person in this world is to fix their character traits. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Hadken Atzmecha. We always hear about Tikkun Olam, Tikkun Olam, Tikkun Olam. Tikkun Olam starts with? Yourself. It's very hard. Very hard. It's very hard to fix oneself. To be perfect. It's hard to be perfect. It's very hard to be perfect. I don't know anyone who's perfect. There's no, no such thing as a perfect person. But that's our mission is to try and make ourselves as perfect as possible. Try and perfect our character traits. Uh, how much we get angry, how much we get sad, how much we get involved. How much laughter, all these are traits, different traits that we have. So fix yourself in this corridor. This world is a corridor. Fix yourselves in this corridor. So that's our mission in life. He doesn't say fix the world, he says fix yourself. In order that we should be worthy of the world to come. So this corridor is a potential. It's a potential entrance into a world which is better than this. However, if we mess up in this corridor... I don't know, we'll probably get a second chance. I don't know. Come back. <laughs> Hopefully. But uh person messes up in this corridor is very important. So this corridor, everything should be well. 
So let's give it an example. It's like basically it's like an airplane. Uh, you're going on the airplane. You're going the airplane ride to a certain destination, and the airplane ride is this world. Imagine, think about it. This world is the airplane ride, and if the airplane flies well, hopefully it's not a Max uh, seventh, whatever it was. Uh, the airplane flies well. We don't want the three And you're behaving well, very well on the airplane. You're getting good food on the airplane. You'll survive to get to the next destination, and that's what we're doing. This world. This world is just the corridor. This world is the air flight to the next destination, which is Olamaba. And it's so hard to imagine that. It's so hard to imagine that this is just a temporary world. It's so hard for a person to imagine. And when a person gets older, then they start thinking about it. They should start thinking about it. This, this world is temporary. A person is young. It's very hard for a young person to think about it. This world is a temporary place. We don't bury people. We plant them. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> we don't bury people. We plant people. Because eventually, we know the dead are going to rise. But that's a different topic. But over here, we're worried about ourselves, our souls. A person has to fix themselves in this world in order to get into the Traklin. What is a Traklin? He says a Traklin, this is the country of uh, Rav Vadim Bartanura. Rav Vadim Bartanura, he's a rabbi in Spain in the Middle Ages. Actually, in, in Italy, what am I saying? He's from Bartanura in, in Italy. Mm-hmm. Today they have named all the wines after great rabbis. All the wines are named after great rabbis. So Bartanura was a place, Rav Vadim Bartanura. He was a Rav Vadim from Bartanura from Italy. So he says, Chaklin. I'm just telling you what he says. Chaklin. What is a Chaklin? Makom Moshava Melech. It's a place where the king sits. It's the king's... Go on. The king's... Throne room. His throne room. If you want to go to the throne room, you've got to prepare yourself in the corridor outside. Make sure your tie... I'll make sure my tie is good. You know? i make sure you look good. You're going to see the king. Fix yourself in this world. In order to go to the next world. Amazing, amazing, this amazing... Which, uh... We're in chapter 4, Mishnah 16. At least in this book. So, <laughs> Rabbi Yaakov says, we have an obligation over here. This is our obligation. All the mitzvot we're doing is for this purpose. Why are we doing mitzvot in this world? We're doing mitzvot to perfect ourselves. Why do we keep kosher in this world? To perfect ourselves, to make ourselves better. All of it's what we're doing. Everything we do in this world, all the acts of kindness, is there to perfect ourselves. We're trying to perfect ourselves in this world. So between man and man, and man and God, it's an amazing system. In Judaism, we have two facets of our lives. Man and man, man and God. Man and man, man and God. So some people are very good at man and man, but they're very bad at man and God. Some people are very good at man and God, but it's very hard to deal with people. I, I, I fall in that second category. It's, hard, it's easy to deal with God than deal with man. Man is trouble. Other people get hurt, you hurt their emotions, you hurt them, and they start screaming, and they go wild, and uh, God doesn't reply, at least not uh, verbally, at least. He may reply through situations, that's a different issue. But, uh, so there's man and man, there's man and God, you've got to balance them in yourself as well. We said that's the Magin David, remember the Magin David? The triangle of the Magin David, upwards, which is Hashem, upwards, inwards, which is oneself, and outwards, outwards is to other people. That's my end of Judaism. What is Judaism? Torah, Abodah, Gimirut Hasanim. The world rests on three things. Torah, which is inwards. I learn Torah and try and figure out who I am. Learn Torah and try and figure out how to perfect myself. Torah, Abodah is service of God. So it's upwards. And Gimirut Hasanim is reaching outwards to other people. To helping other people. So a person has to have balance in the world. It's so hard to be, have balance in the world. So a person's got to know how to balance their life. How do I balance my life? 
I've got to worry about myself. I've got to learn Torah for myself. I've got to serve God as well. And I've got to help other people as well. Such a, it's, a, it's a hard balance. That's the Magin David. That's the triangle of the Magin David. So there's two triangles. One is the individual triangle, and one is the societal triangle, the community triangle. So we have to try and figure the system out. But that's how we fix ourselves. We have to fix ourselves in all three ways. So we have to fix ourselves in the, the way between man and man and God. We have to fix ourselves man and man. We have to fix ourselves inside as well. Amidot, our, 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 our character traits. That's how we fix ourselves. So we have this limited time. Person's got to realize this corridor is just limited time. What does David say? David Amelch say, how, much, how long does a person live? Shivim Shana. A person lives 70 years. In Bigurot, if he's mighty, Shmonim Shana. 70, 80, today it's getting a bit higher. Right, it's getting higher. But uh, as I talked to someone in the old age home, he's a rabbi of the home, he says, listen, well, I make kiddush for these guys, how much they really know what's going on? Can I give the guy an aliyah? He, does, he barely knows how to say the... Imagine, we go back to being a child. Human, human nature is like a, yes. it's like a, par- a parabola. The parabola. We go up, we get reach the heyday, mm-hmm. and then it's a slow descent after that. So it's a, it's a horrible system. It's a horrible system Hashem created. But the purpose of the system is to prepare for the end. To prepare for the end this way. A person has like a parachute landing. A soft descent. Some people just go like that. They go at the top, and then they're gone. Guy dies with a heart attack, 45 years old. So that's, that's going at the, reaching the top. And some people come a slow descent. My mother, well, thank God she's still alive. She has a slow descent. She's in the old age home and it's slow. You see the slow descent. Hashem is slow descent. It's a, so that's a person who reaches the ripe old age. But that's the most we can hope for. Hard place for him to work. That's the most. Uh, seeing. It's a very hard place. Okay, anyway, so uh, we have to try and fix ourselves. We have a limited amount of time. We have to realize that time is limited. The most precious object we have is time. time. And time is the easiest object to waste. Easiest thing to waste in the world. All you have to do is do nothing. <laughs> it's very easy. person does nothing, they're just wasting their time. On the other hand, they're not doing anything bad. But t- wasting time itself is well, Torah. It's wasting time to learn. It's very hard. It's very, very hard. A person's got to balance how much time do I need to recover, to recuperate, to rest? And how much time do I need to play? And how much time do I need to work? And how much time do I need to learn Torah? A person's got to balance. Life is all about finding the right balance. It's really all about finding the right balance, and it's very hard to find the right balance. So a person can really be an extremist in one thing. So a person's an extreme, extreme fan of, uh, I don't know what, football or basketball and all this stuff, but he's an extremist. Every game, he's got to be there. Every game, every game, that's an extremist. A person's got to find balance. Okay, a person's got to find balance in life. How much time do I spend with my wife? How much time do I spend with the kids? How much time do I spend at work? How much time do I spend learning Torah? How much? It's all balancing. It's a balancing. So that's perfection. Perfection is very hard to achieve, but that's our mission. We strive for perfection. We strive for it. We know we can't reach it, but we strive for perfection. There's only one being that's perfect. That's Hashem. Hashem, Hatsur Tamim Paolo. Hashem, His works are perfect. Hashem is perfect. We cannot reach perfection, but that's good. Why? Because we're not meant to reach perfection. We're meant to strive for perfection. We can't reach perfection. Even Moshe Rabbeinu, one of the greatest people around, he never reached perfection. Why? Because it says he sinned. It says he broke, broke the Hashem said, speak to the rock, and he, thought, he hit the rock. That gives us some kind of comfort. And even Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't reach perfection, so what am I? So I can't reach perfection either, but I've got to aim for it. 
We have to aim for perfection. It's like a kid in school. If you aim for 100, 100 in your test, you, you may get... 90. 80, 80 90. 90. But if you don't even aim for 100, you know, some schools, the kids are just, I aim for, I just aim to pass. You aim for pass, the chances are maybe you won't even pass. So it's very important to aim high. So a person's got to fix themselves. We have a limited time to fix ourselves. We have to fix ourselves. This is the time to fix ourselves. So this is the prusdor. This is the corridor. So the commentary over here, the Rashi says over here, prusdor is a language which is a Greek. It's a Greek word. It's the uh, passageway between the gate and the courtyard to see the king, the king's courtyard. So there's a little corridor over there. That is the passageway. In order to go in front of the king, so a person who wants to go in front of the king has to first, has, has got to comb their hair, has got to fix their beard, has got to fix their clothes, in order that he goes in front of the king. What is this comparable to? He says, doing teshuva and good deeds. We're going to meet God, Hashem. We're going to meet Hashem. How do you meet Hashem? A person's got to meet Hashem through teshuva and good deeds. So that is the way we fix ourselves in this, in this corridor. And we have this parable of Shabbat. Thank God. Why, what is Shabbat for? Shabbat is Me'en Olam Haba. Me'en Olam Haba. Shabbat is the parable of Olam Haba. Shabbat gives us a little glimpse of Olam Haba. What do you mean it's a glimpse of Olam Haba? In Shabbat you can't do any work. Which means if you don't prepare on Friday, the rabbis say, you don't get to eat on Shabbat. So if Shabbat is Olam Haba, if you don't prepare on Friday, this is this world... You don't get to eat in Lama Ba. So it's the parable of our lives in a big sense, in a big way. So Shabbat is a very big part of fixing ourselves. Why? Because on Shabbat, that is the spiritual existence. A person goes to Shabbat and he eats and he learns Torah and spends it in a spiritual way. That's the main Lama Ba. That's a taste of the world to come. So Shabbat is a beautiful taste of Lama Ba. So, but a person got to prepare for Shabbat. Preparing for Shabbat is what we're talking about. We have to prepare for Shabbat, the big Shabbat. You know, it's interesting because we repeat this. In Jewish law, Shabbat is repeated in many different ways. It's repeated in the way of Shemitah. What is Shemitah? Anyone here? Sabbatical year. So every seven years we have a Shabbat. Amazing. Think about it. Hashem says, not enough. People get one day a week as a Shabbat. It's not enough of a reminder. Why? Because we get a reminder every week, what happens? It becomes like a habit. So you know what? Every seven years, I'm going to give you another reminder. Of Shabbat. Right. The concept of Shabbat. The concept of there's going to be Olam Ba. The concept is you work, 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 but there's going to be an end to the work. What is the purpose of all the work? To get to a level of spirituality, of Shemitah. And then it's not enough. You know why it's not enough? It's every seven times seven, 49 years, the 50th year is Yomel. So we need constant reminders. Otherwise, a person just goes through this world and doesn't realize what this world's about. This world is not about work, 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 and have fun. Work, 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 and alamba. That's what it was about. Work, 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 and alamba. We have to put that in our, in our frame of reference. What are we doing here? We are striving to fix ourselves to get to shuva and good deeds to be able to get to alamba. That's what we're doing here. So there's two retirements. It's even harder, you know. <laughs> right? We're well, going to try to retire in this world and try to retire in the next world as well. So it's good in a sense. Why? Because a person retires, now they can focus on the second retirement. You have more time to focus on the second retirement. How do we get to the second retirement? The second retirement is a retirement forever. It's eternal. Imagine how long it lasts. It's hard to remember what eternity is. 
What is eternity? So Rav Desla gives us a little example. He says, start counting sand. <laughs> Good luck. How long would it take you? One, two, Good that's luck. eternity, he says. Now you give an idea what eternity is. Eternity is count sand. Count the stars. So that's eternity. You have to realize that's the next world is eternity. The next world. Do nothing for eternity? That would drive me crazy. Exactly. So that's, there's not nothing. It's a spiritual world where you enjoy spirituality. But if you don't enjoy spirituality in this world, you won't enjoy spirituality in the next world. So it's, I call it a quiet taste. Spirituality is an acquired taste. My father, Allah Shalom, he loved, he started uh, being a vegetarian. He went, uh, I know, health food. He started becoming health food conscious in his old age. Health food conscious. So he was started eating some kind of Brussels sprouts. Have you know what Brussels sprouts are? Little, oh God, little cabbages. So I come home, and the house is stinking. Because <laughs> these things, you put them in a pot, you know, he boils them, and they stink. They stink. And he would pop them. He had one, 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 two, three. That was his meal. That was his meal. He started getting health conscious. I said, how can you eat that stuff? How can you eat a Brussels sprout? Pop in your mouth. <laughs> and he would enjoy it. He would enjoy it. I don't know how he, you know. And the answer is, it's an acquired taste. Everything is an acquired taste. Spirituality is an acquired taste. Just sitting over here listening to a rabbi speak, it's like acquired taste. If you enjoy it, you're going to enjoy Olamaba. What is Olamaba? Olamaba is when the rabbi has no watch. <laughs> the speech just keeps on going. That's Olamaba. So for some people, it's Olamaba. For some people, it'll be Gehenam. It'll be hell. You see people. Looking at the watch, oh, sleeping. He's still going. He's still going. <laughs> so, so that's uh, Rav Vigda Miller. Rav Vigda Miller's Allah say, he said, "What is the difference in heaven and hell? Heaven is when the rabbi has no watch, and hell is when the rabbi has no watch." <laughs> so, for some people, it's going to be heaven. Some people, it's going to be hell. <laughs> that's also the question. Okay, that's also the question. We could listen to you all day long, but there are rappers like the one listen to it all day Oh, okay, okay. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. Okay. But some people love it. Love Some people love it. I don't know. Some people love it. And some people don't love it. So the person who loves it, that's heaven. The person who doesn't love it, it's hell. The guy who likes playing golf all day, he goes to heaven and he says, where's the golf? <laughs> what golf? There's no golf. There's God. There's no golf. But golf, I'm here for golf. I live for golf. I live for golf. Where's the sports? There's no sports over here. There's no sports over here. I live for sports. What are we going to do over here? A person's got to get into the rhythm of spirituality. I like going to shul. I like sitting in the shul and thinking about Hashem. You're going to enjoy Olamaba. Because you can have lots of time in the shul in Olamaba. Lots of time. So that is a person we have to get into the mode. People are going to realize. You get into the mode now because otherwise you're not going to enjoy it. Because going to get into the mode of loving these things. And then you're going to love Olamba. Because Olamba is just taking all the spirituality in this world and multiplying it by 50, 60, 100, thousands. Okay, we continue. Rabbi Yaakov. Rabbi Yaakov says, Who are Yaomer? In the next Mishnah. Think about this. This is an amazing statement over here. What would you prefer? A minute in this world or a minute in the next world? <coughs> Well, we don't know. We I mean, I've never been in the next world. I don't know what the next world is all about. Rav Yaakov is giving us a glimpse. He says, look what he says. He says, if you're engaged in good deeds in this world, if you're engaged in teshuva in this world, it's better than the whole of the next world. What does that mean? If you're engaged in, in one minute of teshuva and good deeds in this world, 
It's better than the whole next world put together. Why? What's going on? And the answer is, in this world, we can elevate ourselves. Uh-huh. In this world, we can grow. In the next world, we're stuck. We're in a plateau. In the next world, you just retire. Your retirement. You can't earn more. That's it. That's it. Whatever you reach, that's the word. You're in orbit now. Think about it. The space, the the spacecraft takes off, shoots off. The engine and dies out. You're in an orbit now. Whatever you reach in orbit, that's where you are. You're stuck in orbit. You can't go higher. The same thing applies to the next world. So just keep imagine. The person's busy with mitzvot and good deeds in this world. In one minute. It's better than the whole next world because over here is growing, and the next world can't grow. <coughs> so it's it's very important to know this that when a person is involved in doing good deeds, they're getting a reward more than the whole next world. It's like you're growing more than you'd ever grow before, uh, anywhere else. It's amazing. It's an amazing concept. So we have to realize that this world is just a corridor, and but this world we have the opportunity to grow. We have the opportunity to achieve. And we shouldn't waste that opportunity. So I just want to read you this commentary. This is Rabbeinu Yonah. Rabbeinu Yonah of Gerona. Rhymes. Rabbeinu Yonah of Gerona. He was a cousin of the Ramban. Nachmanides. The only difference was Ramban lived in Spain. And Rabbeinu Yonah lived in southern France. So he was exposed to the Ashkenazi culture in France. And he was one of the great French rabbis who put the Rambam in Cheren. The French rabbis, cousin? the cousin of the Ramban. The Ramban was pro-Rambam and told us, calm down, relax. The Rambam is a great man. And they put the Rambam in Cherem. They started burning the Rambam's books right. in France. And eventually the French said, you're burning Jewish books. We'll burn Jewish books as well. They collect, confiscated all the sets of Talmud and they burnt Why? it as well. After they burnt the Talmud on the same pile as they burnt the Rambam, he did Teshuvah. Mm. Rabbi Yonah said, he went around all the synagogues in France, can imagine, apologizing in public. I apologize for what I did to the Rambam. Hmm. The Rambam was dead already. Rambam bin K, he was dead already. But he, he went through every synagogue in, in France apologizing to the Rambam, to the honor of the Rambam. Because he realized what a big mistake. And he wrote a book called Gates of Repentance. Sharet Teshuvah of the Rabbeinu Yonah. Rabbeinu Yonah has a commentary here, beautiful commentary on Pirkei Avot. I just want to read you his commentary. So you look what he says. In a small period of time in this world, Adam marviach olamaba. A person can attain the next world. Imagine, in a short period of time. Imagine, and uh, amazing, amazing. So, just the Gemara brings down many different stories where a person earns the olamaba in one second. Uh, there's many different stories in Gemara about Azara, Gemara talks about different people who did teshuva, and in one second they became ben olamaba. And it says, when Rabbi Huda Nasi heard that, he would cry. He says, here I am struggling all my life to be Ben Olam Ba, and these guys earn Olam Ba in one second. Just shows that a person can do certain things and they can win the jackpot. Just like today, win a lottery. A person can win the lottery of life. Can you imagine? When a person wins the lottery of life, it's like a race. If you look at a race, and you have a horse over there who is a, called the dark horse. What's a dark horse? No one, wants, no one thinks it's good. The odds of that horse winning is like one, two, I don't know, 200, 300. Mm-hmm. And that horse wins. It comes from nowhere. No one even thinks about it. You have great rabbis over there learning all day Torah. And this guy from somewhere came and said, Hey, Ben Olamaba. <laughs> Why? Because he did one mitzvah properly. He did something so great he that he beat it? everyone else up. So the, he brings down stories. There's, there's stories in the Gemara of people who won the Olam Ba in, in seconds. They, and they go first to Olam Ba. 
And that's what he means. Even one second, a person can win the Olam Abba more than anything else. In one second, you have good deeds or Teshuvah, a person can win the Olam Abba. So, we have to realize that it's, uh, it's, it could be today, it could be tomorrow. A person just does one good deed. That's all it takes. One good deed. With all the concentration, they can win the ticket. They can win that ticket. Just do it with all, the, all their powers, all their energies, with the best uh, kavanah, with enjoyment and with thrills and with uh, gusto, worth more than all the other people, all the other mitzvot. So we have to realize one good deed can outweigh everything else. Just one second, he says, of teshuva, and we can do this through teshuva. You don't have to go. You don't even have to leave your chair. That's the beauty of teshuva. A person can do it in his head. A person can do teshuva in one's head. Teshuva and good deeds. It's very precious to God because God sees. See, we just see the actions that people do. We just see people's faces. We don't know what's going on in their heads. I should imagine looking at our minds. Oh gosh, scary, right? He's reading our minds, and Hashem says that guy's mind I like. They're thinking good thoughts all the time. They're thinking positive thoughts all the time. They're thinking Torah all the time. Thinking about me all the time. I like that. That guy's going to get rewarded. He didn't do anything. He's just sitting in his chair. So that's why in Judaism, life is precious. So a person's in their in their bed, in the hospital, they can't move, but their thoughts are precious. That's why every second of life is precious. As long as a person can think, the seconds of life are very precious. And that's why Judaism is very pro-life. We're very pro-life because even though a person can't move. I heard a case yesterday of a person who can't move. Paraplegic. He can just move his eyes. And he communicates with his eyes. Mm-hmm. But he's a happy person. It's amazing. I think about it. He's a happy person. So it's it's the brain. It's the mind. I was talking to a doctor today. He says, I see people whose strength of mind can push their body. The body is 80 years old, but his mind is 30 years old. Wow. <laughs> so the mind is very powerful. We can build buildings in our heads spiritual buildings in our heads by thinking good thoughts so it's very powerful the mind is very very powerful we can do teshuva in our head very powerful so just one second of teshuva and good deeds in this world is better than the whole next world why? because the next world we can't grow and this world we can grow and then he says but the reward in the next world beats out all the pleasures of this world put together think of all the pleasures of this world so the guy says, you know, what pleasures do you get in life? Oh, steak. I love steak. Okay. How many steaks did you eat in life? Let's work it out. If you have one a day, it's 365. Mm-hmm. You live for 70 years, it's how much? 365. Uh, 3,600 uh, times 7. Come on, let's go. Approximately 21,000 steaks he had in life. All those steaks, the pleasure of all those steaks, one second in Lama Ba. One second in Lama Ba is better than the, all those thousands of steaks. Imagine one second. Just one second. How much? Look at it. We eat food, but the pleasure from the food is just when it's in the mouth. Yeah. Once you swallow it, it's gone. It's gone. Tragic, right? Imagine. It's tragic, really tragic. They'll get there faster because they'll have eaten all that steak and gotten all the cholesterol in there. <laughs> that's what I say. That's what I can feel. Cholesterol. I'm just giving an example. I'm just, don't take it in. I'm just giving an example. No, I don't like steak. But personally, I don't eat steak. Believe me, I don't eat steak. You know what happened to me? I went to a restaurant in Israel called El Gaucho. Have you heard of El Gaucho? Yes, Argentina. You were there? Yes, yes. So uh, El Gaucho is an Argentinian restaurant. In Kiryat Mosque? Yeah, whatever it is. I remember. A long time ago. (laughs) 
And that turned me off steak in my life. That's, that's it. I went to that. You go to, a, it's an Argentinian restaurant. All they have over there is a meat. Right, because that's what they get their meat. So I went, so, okay, so I went. A friend took me over there. He's doing me a favor. Would you like a meat restaurant? I said, oh, yeah, meat restaurant. Okay, meat restaurant. Go to El Gaucho. El Gaucho. Cowboy. I see the picture of the cowboy. <laughs> and, the, and the cow. And the, and the cowboy. And that's, so I'm sitting over there. What would you like? A steak. Okay, a steak. Okay. So I get a plate for this piece of meat over there like this. <laughs> And a glass of Coke, and that's it. That was my idea. That was the dinner. Did they give you any vegetables? No, no vegetables at all. It's El Gaucho. This is Argentina. This is... That's all they eat. Steak, that's it. So I sit over there. Can't cut the thing. Can you take this back and and cook it, please? Comes back two minutes later. Same thing. Can't cut it. Chewy like... No more steak in my life. I don't blame you. So my wife says, you know what, I'll have a chicken. They give her half a chicken. That's it, half a chicken. Half a roast chicken, that's it. That's it, not going to El Gaucho anymore, that's it. (laughs) But you know what, some people eat, that's what they do. They eat it, love it, they love it, they go back. El Gaucho, very good. Okay. But I'm just, that's why, I'm just giving an example of steak. I don't like steak, I don't like steak. Anyway, but I'm just giving an example. This is all just an example, okay? Don't get carried away. So it's just an example. So a person might think, you know, I like this. Okay, add up all the pleasure you get by eating this in your lifetime. One second while I'm is better than all the pleasures you got. Wow. Amazing. Maybe. So it's better than the whole of this world. All the pleasures of this world don't stack up for one second in the next world. Imagine, think about it. It's hard to imagine. One second of alarm bell. Man, what kind of pleasure is that? Now the answer is, see, body pleasures are limited. Physical pleasures are limited. Spiritual pleasures are unlimited. Because the soul is unlimited. And therefore the pleasure the soul gets, it's much unlimited. It's unlimited. The bodies were limited. How much can we eat? How much can we sleep? How much can we other things? How much can we do it? We can't do it. We're, we're limited by our body. We just can't do it. We'll go sick. We'll get sick. Well, the Romans and the Greeks, they would vomit. And eat again, and vomit, and eat again, and you vomit. That's it, because they want to stuff themselves. They can't stuff themselves. You're full. That's bulimia. Bulimia, but that, that's what they did. That's what they did. Because they just wanted to have pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. But we don't realize the human body is limited. We can't have pleasure. How much pleasure can you eat? But in the next world, you're unlimited. Spiritual pleasure is unlimited. That's what we're saying over here. You want physical pleasure? It's limited. You want spiritual pleasure? It's unlimited. Unlimited spiritual pleasure. Beautiful Mishnah. This is a beautiful Mishnah. This, we should put a motto on our walls. This world is just a corridor. Suppose I said, you know what, I'm going to do up my kitchen now. It's true. I need a kitchen. I want to do up my, my basement. I want my basement. I want my basement. It's good. I didn't say we have to live in a hut. But how many times do you have to do it? How many times do you have to remodel and remodel and remodel and remodel? What about your next world? Worry about your next world. You fix your house? Worry about your next world now. I worry about my next world. You retire? What about your next world? What about your next retirement? Person got to remember, there's another retirement after this. <laughs> so now the person should invest in the next retirement. How do I invest in the next retirement? Teshuva and Masim Tovim. Doing Teshuva and good deeds. Um, we're going to try and do good deeds. And Bezrat Hashem will be successful and we'll see each other there in the next world. All of us together have a shear over there. But instead of my shear, we'll be going Moshe Rabbeinu's shear, even better, you know, Moshe Rabbeinu's shear, Moshe Rabbeinu's shear, Rabbi Kiva. There's other shirim to go to, Baruch Hashem. Okay, we're moving on. Rabbi Shimon ben Lazar. This is Rabbi Shimon ben Lazar Omer. 
very important point. What do you do? How do you deal with someone who is angry? How do you deal with an angry person? Now, imagine this is this mission is totally unrelated to the previous mission, right? Here we have one mission, and then the mission talks about Allah. This world very beautiful, and then we're being more practical, down to earth. In this world, you're dealing with a lot of people who are very upset. Unfortunately, it's very tragic. A lot of people today are upset. A lot of people are angry. Either because circumstances, you know, they don't feel they got a good deal, or whatever, they're very angry. And sometimes you're dealing with a person who's very angry. So what do you do when a person's angry? So number one rule is, don't try and calm them down when they're angry. <laughs> Amazing, because it's totally opposite what a person's natural tem- tendency is. Calm down, calm down. You tell a person to calm down, it makes them even more mad. Right. So what the commissioner says, Rabbi Shem Ben-Lazar says, Al-Teratzet don't try and pacify someone when they're angry. Okay? Why? He's going to get even more mad. He's going to get even more mad. So what do you do? <coughs> he doesn't tell us what to do. He just says, don't pacify them when they're angry. My rabbi in Israel had a tremendous technique, which was amazing. He says, you're angry, I can't talk to you. I have a policy, I don't talk to people when they're angry. So What? <laughs> Can you imagine? You're mad, mad, mad. He says, I can't talk to you right now. You have to, either you leave or I leave. I can't talk to you right now. You're angry. I can't. I have a policy. I don't talk to angry people. Psh, it's amazing. I'll talk to you when you're calm. I can't talk to you now. The truth is, you can't talk to someone who's mad. He's off his rocker. They're off the rocker. You can't talk to them. You can't have a serious conversation with them because they're not thinking logically. So what do you do when someone's mad? Number one is you tell them, I can't talk to you right now. Or just say yes, 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 and can't leave the room. You can't, you can't deal with someone who's crying, who's angry. Number two, this is also very important. You know, you go to someone who lost their relative, pardon me now. You go to a house of mourning. Say, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Don't pacify him when the, when the dead person is right there. Right. Don't say, oh, it's okay. It means okay. It's not. It's not okay. <laughs> So again, the guy is crying. Don't try and pacify them. Let them cry. Let them get the tears out. Let them get the suffering out. Let them get the tragedy out. The time of destruction is not a time to pacify someone. You can't pacify someone when something bad has happened. You can't. <clears throat> what you can do is just sit there and wait it out and help them through it. You cannot pacify them and say, it's okay, it'll be all right, it'll be all right. Well, it's not going to be alright right now is not the time to pacify someone until the seven days of mourning towards the end of the seven days of mourning three days for Bechi it says the first three days is crying after the first three days then the pacification starts it's very hard it's very hard because you know who feels the loss is the, the mourners the mourners feel the loss so now I'm a third party I don't feel their loss they're feeling a loss and I don't feel the loss so what am I going to do I have to show empathy how do you show empathy feel your loss, I feel your pain, just sitting there. Just it by sitting. depends on how close you are to the mourner and to the person who just died. Of course, if you're close you are, the more you feel the loss. Number three, and this today, Baruch Hashem, not so common. Today we got in the habit of saying, Beli No vows, we don't make any vows. It's very important to say, Beli neder, Beli neder, Beli neder. Why? Because we don't even know how to make a vow. Most people don't know how to make a vow today. But everything good that you say you're going to do, that's a vow. I was going to know that. Every time you say you're going to do a mitzvah, it's a vow. Automatically, it's a vow. Person says, I'm going to give staka. I'm going to give. Uh, you go to the Torah and you make an aliyah donation. I'm talking to the man, hopefully. Make an aliyah donation, $180. It's a vow. I should say, just in case they forget. Uh, person says, You know, tomorrow I'm going to shul. I'm going to do this mitzvah. I'm going to do that mitzvah. It's a vow. 
So the person should always say bli neder without a vow, without a vow, without a vow. But a person made a vow, you shouldn't say annul your vow. Straight away, he made a vow. So he wants to make the vow. Don't go to him when he made a vow and say, annul your vow. Why? He's hot to make the vow. Now, don't tell him to annul the vow. This is, a, this is amazing insight over here. This is like the worst thing you can do to someone is be part of that person's life when they are being embarrassed. Like say a person comes in and, he, and they trip and they fall down. And they wake up, look up and they look around them and everyone's looking at them. It's like the most embarrassing thing. Try to look away. Don't be part of someone else's shame. Don't look at someone when they are in shame. Look at this. It's amazing. Amazing insight. This is four very valuable lessons of dealing with situations of other people. So let's just recap. Number one, don't try and pacify someone when they're angry. It doesn't work. It's not going to work. Make them worse. So don't pacify them when they're angry. Avoid the situation. Go away. Don't talk to them. Just go away from them. Leave them. It's a terrible thing. Don't argue with them. That's the worst thing you can do is argue. Number two, someone is in pain. Don't try and pacify them. When, when the pain, the, the cause of the pain is right in front of them. Number three, when they made a vow, don't tell them to go and ask and annul the vow at the same time. And number four is when someone is being embarrassed, try not to be around. Don't be around someone when they're being embarrassed because it just shows that you're happy or you're, you're enjoying the fact that they're being embarrassed. Okay, now we come to, we're moving on to Mishnah number Yutet, uh, which is 19, Shmuel Akatat. Now, this is an interesting rabbinical phenomenon. The rabbis always call someone who is greater small. They want to make him big-headed. So they call this rabbi, who is the, one of the greatest rabbis ever, Shmuel Hakatan. The small Shmuel. Was he short? No. Stature? No. He was a genius, not short in stature. They call it Shmuel Hakatan, so he shouldn't get big-headed. <laughs> Amazing. Think of this. Shmuel Hakatan. Everyone knew he was the greatest. Shmuel Hakatan. How do we know he's the greatest? Because it says when Ram Gamliel wanted to make the Amidah, the Shmona Esrei, they added an extra prayer, 19 blessings. It always was 18 blessings. That's why it's called Shmona Esrei. Shmona Esrei means 18. The rabbis in the time of Ram Gamliel added number 19 blessing. You know that? What's the 19th blessing? How many, how many blessings in the Shmona Esrei? 19. But it was 18 before that. Who made the Shmona Esrei? Ezra HaSofer. Ezra HaSofer lived in the time between the destruction of two temples, between the period after the first temple was destroyed, around 700 BCE. Around 700 or 600 BC in that time period. And Ezra Sofer came along, no korbanot, no sacrifices, no temple. So the unshaken Asagdola leaders, the first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. Okay, around that time. Give me a, give me a rough, rough estimate. So the temple is destroyed, and uh, he comes along, no korbanot, what should we do? We'll make prayers instead of korbanot, instead of sacrifice, of prayers. And therefore he writes, him and the 120 rabbis who were the leaders of the great assembly, they wrote the prayers of the, t- the 18 blessings. 18 blessings a day, keep the doctor away. You say 18 blessings a day, but it's not 18 blessings a day, it's 18 times 3. You'll say shacharit, mincha. At that time it was only times 2. Aravit became like an optional extra. Because mm-hmm. there are only two korbanot every day in the temple. There's a morning and there's an afternoon korbanot. There's no korban in the evening. So Arvit was for the leftovers that were burnt at night. So therefore that's why there's no repetition in Arvit. Why is there no repetition in Arvit? 
Because you don't have to repeat it. There's no one there to do. You don't have to be mostly other people. There's no korban. So two two times eighteen a day. And what happened was the time Rabbi Gamliel, the period of time. But on Friday night, you do like a a short partial repetition, almost. It's like combining. Yes, true. The rabbi said we want people to have time to go home. In those days, the synagogues were in this outside the towns. They can imagine living in the. You weren't allowed to pray in a town. The Jews never had synagogues in town because they weren't allowed to pray in the town. It's idolatry. The idol worshippers threw us out of the towns. You weren't allowed to pray. You weren't allowed to have synagogue. They would pray outside town. They would imagine walking outside town. Very dangerous. So everybody said, you know what? On Friday nights, when people are walking outside, we're going to make a special service. So a person who comes late won't be delayed in the synagogue. They'll have time to catch up and go back with everyone else. They made a repetition just for that reason. To help people to catch up and go with everyone else. Don't be alone in the synagogue outside the town. So very people don't realize how much history there is in the in the formula of the rabbis. Mm-hmm. So the history is the temple was destroyed. Uh, Ezra Sofer and the hundred twenty rabbis said, "You know what? Instead of korbanot, we're going to make tefillah. We're going to make prayers. We make we have this institution of eighteen blessings a day, times two. And then hundreds of years later, Rabbi Gamliel comes on and he says, "We have a phenomenon now. What's the phenomenon now? There are Jews who are causing trouble for other Jews. They are going." and telling tales to the government, the Romans, and getting other Jews into trouble. So Lamal Shidim is the 19th? So they made the 19th passage, which is Lamal Shidim. Lam Shidim, al as far as you say. So the Minim and the Mal Shidim. Who are the Minim? The Minim were the early Christians. We have to, don't, we, people don't realize, the early Christians were Jews. But they stuck it in the middle. They didn't put it at the end. Right. They stuck it in the middle. Who wrote this prayer? Shmuel Akata. Why did Shmuel HaKatan have chosen to write this prayer? Because Shmuel HaKatan, number one, was greatest. Number two, Shmuel HaKatan had a motto. Look at his motto. This is the Mishnah. And he's quoting Shlomo Melech. This is from Mishlei, chapter 20, 24, verse 19, you know, 17. Mishlei is amazing. Mishlei is book of parables. Have you heard of the book of parables? Shlomo Melech wrote three books. What are the three books? Quickly, let's go. Number one. Proverbs, Proverbs which is Mishlei. Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, and... Shira Shirim, Song of Songs. Three books he wrote. One of his books was Mishlei. Mishlei is Proverbs, amazing Proverbs. Each proverb is a whole book. You can write a whole book about each proverb. Each proverb is so deep. So this is one of his Proverbs. When your enemy falls, don't be happy. When you see your enemy falling, don't be happy. That's a little bit like with the embarrassing? Yes, very similar, very similar. And when he trips, don't be happy in your heart. In case Hashem will read your mind, and he'll know, and he'll say, oh, this guy's laughing, someone else's fall, I'll make him fall as well. So a person shouldn't be rejoicing other people's tragedies, we should be sad when other people are sad, and commiserate with them, because it could also happen to us. So a person might trigger Hashem's anger, and said, so, why, you don't feel sorry for that one? You should, pardon me not, it should never happen to us. So it's very important to have empathy with other people, see their troubles, and not rejoice. This guy's in trouble, <laughs> I'm glad, I'm so happy he's in trouble. No, shouldn't, shouldn't rejoice in someone else's pain. But you should feel empathy for someone else's pain, in case Hashem sees and gets angry. So it's a very important idea, the idea of, of empathy. We have to learn empathy. So let's move on. Elisha ben Abuya. Now, this is this is amazing because this Mishnah is one of the few Mishnah which mentions his name. 
Elisha ibn Abuya was the son of a very wealthy man. Abuya was a very wealthy man who invited all the great rabbis for the breed of his son Elisha. Imagine, he's a real wealthy man. He has a boy, a son, he called him Elisha, after the great prophet Elisha, right? This is before he became the Apicorus. Of course. How do you know? Because his name is mentioned. After he became an Apicorus, they wouldn't say his name. They would say Acher. Yeah. They wouldn't call his name. This is one of the few places that says his name. Which is amazing. They kept his name over here. So this is before he became an Apicorus. <coughs> so Elisha ben Abuya had the greatest breed. Imagine, he had all the rabbis at his breed. And the rabbis are learning Torah and... The father was very impressed. He says, I want my son to be like these rabbis. So uh, the, the son, unfortunately, he had the wrong intentions. There's different opinions what happened to Elisha ibn Abuya. So one story is that he saw a father tell his son, son, climb the ladder and shoo the mother word away from its egg and take the egg and come down. And the son goes up the ladder, shoes away the mother bird, gets the egg and falls down the ladder and breaks his head and dies. So Elisha ben Abuya says, there's two mitzvot in the Torah with long life. There's more, but these two at least long life. Honoring parents and shearing away the mother bird. And this boy did both and he died. How come? So you see, the Torah is not true. I don't believe in God anymore. That's one opinion. Second opinion says, there were four great rabbis went into the Pardes. They became Kabbalists and they started meditating. Rabbi Kiva, Elisha ben Abuya, Ben Zoma, and Ben Azai. Four great rabbis went into the Pardes. Ben Azai died. Ben Zamar went mad. Elisha ben Abuya saw two, he thought, two gods in the world. They became an Apikoros. That's the second story of Elisha ben Abuya. Third story is, says he would read Greek philosophy. And that turned him away from God. So three different opinions. What happened to Elisha ben Abuya? But anyway, let's go back to the first story of how did that kid die? Why did that kid die? So the Gemara says a very important rule. It says, Shaliach mitzvah enam nizokin. A person involved in a mitzvah is not, is not, cannot be damaged. If you're involved in a mitzvah, you cannot be damaged. However, it says that's only when there's nothing dangerous going on. Whereas in a normal state of circumstances, the person involved in a mitzvah will not give. But if he goes on a rickety ladder, and that's what it says over there, the ladder was rickety. You know, they never took precautions on a ladder. So even though the kid's doing two mitzvahs, but the ladder is rickety, you cannot rely on a miracle. So even if you're doing a mitzvah, you cannot rely on a miracle. Right? So a person says, you know, i got to go, I do a mitzvah, i got to go on this airline, uh, do a mitzvah, but a plane is not an airworthy plane. You can't rely on miracles. And if the plane's going to crash, it'll crash. So that's, uh, that's, the, that's one answer. Um, so what does Eli Shabin Abuya say? This is very fascinating because this is part of pedagogy. Halomed Yeled Namahudomeh. A person who teaches a boy, a child. What is it like? It's like writing on clean, pure paper. The things you learn when you're young, it's like writing on clear paper. So everything is written down clearly. But teaching adults, elder people, it's like writing on paper which has been previously erased. Because if you want to learn something well, the time to do it when you're young. Uh, I wish really I learned more when I was young. I tell you, see little kids today, learning Mishnayot by heart, they're learning Gemarot by heart. They know everything. It's such, it's such a, all their lives they have the gift of remembering of that because it was clear when they learned it. It was clear in the early age. You don't forget what you learn when you're early age. 
But when you learn later on, it's harder to keep it in your yeah. memory. So the memory goes because the memory has been used so many times. The memory is like a, it's like your disk in your computer. Every time you rewrite the disk, you're losing part of the memory over there. So look what he says. This is pedagogy. This is Rabbi Lazar, uh, this is Elisha Ben Abuya. Rabbi Yosef Ben Yehuda, Ish Kfar Habab Yomer. Person learns from people who are not qualified. What is it like? It's like eating raw grapes. You don't get the full benefit. You're making wine from raw grapes. The wine. So learning from people who are not qualified is like drinking wine from raw grapes. A person learns from elders who know what they're talking about. It's like eating ripe grapes and drinking old wine. It's beautiful. This is beautiful. So now, the person says, oh, if I go to the young rabbi, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I'll go to the old rabbi. Rabbi, rabbi Omer, Rabbi Hudanas, he says, no. It's nothing to do with age. Don't look at the packaging. The outer shape of the person is just a packaging. Look at what's inside the packaging. Maybe someone looks young, but he's full of old knowledge. There's an old packaging. Doesn't have even new learning in it, so you can't look at the packaging. You have to look at what's coming out of the package. Today, you have very young rabbis who are very learned. Amazing! It's amazing today. Look at Torah any time. You see young guys, brilliant, brilliant. So it's not the age of the person; it's what comes out of the person, what's inside the person. Is the knowledge old? And words, you can learn many books. You don't need to be go through life and have that life experience. You can learn life experience from the books. That's what Kohelet says. Kohelet says, read my book, and you won't need to know, do all these mistakes. You won't have to experiment in your life. Read from my experiments. I did all the experiments for you. I ate the food. I got married to a thousand wives. I know what life is all about. I had gold, silver, and everything. I'm telling you my experience. Learn from experience of other people. That's Yashan, really. If you have experience of other people, then you're like an elder person. So there's young people who, who are, are full of old wisdom, and there are old people who don't even have new wisdom. So... It's a little bit of a dichotomy over here. The first opinion says, learn from the elders. The elders know what they're talking about. The young people don't know what they're talking about. Rabbi Huda Nasi says, an older person can be full of nothing. And a young person can be full of older wisdom. So it's not the packaging. Don't look at the packaging. But look at what's inside. And this is a very deep Kabbalistic concept. Our result says, says, you may see an old person, but the soul inside them may be very young. You may see a young baby, but the soul inside them may be very old. So the outside wrapper, the kind of baby. But the soul, you can see inside, looks like an old man. There's an old person inside this. Yeah, so there's an old soul inside a young person, or there could be a young, a new soul in an older person. Thank you. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.